0: Welcome to Fair Play. This is an educational podcast that's going to focus on equity, technology, and how our educational leaders are handling this situation during COVID days. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for being here.
1: Thank you, Colin. Uh, I'm Amber Owen. I will be one of your hosts along with Colin, and we have with us today... Amy Secor. She is the Assistant Principal at East High Street Elementary School in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Uh, Amy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
2: Sure. Thanks, Amber and Colin, for having me. Um, as Amber said, my name is Amy Secor and I am the K-3 Assistant Principal at East High Street Elementary School in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Um, I started my career as a middle school ELA teacher in Solanco School District I've also been an reading specialist at the middle level at Solanco School District, and for the last 10 years, I am a proud member of the Elizabethtown Area School District, where I've served as high school reading specialist, um, high school instructional coach, and now I am at East High Street Elementary, which is a K-3 building.
1: Wonderful. So we are so excited because you are going to bring such a vast perspective to the questions that we have for you today. Um, As Colin said, we'll be talking about equity, we'll be talking about technology, and we'll be talking about COVID and how it has kind of turned our world on its head. So let's get started. So our first question for you, Amy, is what does equity mean to the building leaders in your school and how has that shaped your school's mission during this time of COVID? So
2: when I think about equity in education, I always think of two images that I have seen um, many times when reviewing ideas about equity. And the first is a cartoon uh, that features a bird, a monkey, a penguin, an elephant, a fish in their fishbowl, a seal or sea lion, and a dog standing before an older gentleman who's dressed in a suit. And he is sitting behind a desk. And he says to the animals, for a fair selection, everyone has to take the same exam. Please climb that tree behind you. So this image to me represents the idea that there is a difference between what is fair and what is equitable. And we need to determine how we can create equitable situations for students so that fish who are in a fishbowl don't have to climb trees in order to achieve success. So I've always thought it's a great um, analogy and completely unacceptable and not possible. So this image represents the idea that there is a difference between what is fair and what is equitable, and we need to determine how to create equitable solutions for our students. The second image that I often think of is an image um, that's split in half. And on the left side, Uh, we see three people who are trying to watch a soccer match. And there are three boxes that we can see behind the fence. A tall person is standing on one of the boxes, but he could have clearly seen over the fence without the box. A little girl is standing on the next box, and that allows her to see just over the fence. And then there's a child in a wheelchair that's parked beside the third box. And obviously that child in a wheelchair is not going to be able to use the box. So while each person has the same box, which illustrates the idea that students have equal support, the support doesn't work for each student. So that's the left side of the image. But on the right side of the image, we see the same soccer and fence scenario, but the taller person who can see over the fence anyway, no longer has a box. The little girl has two boxes and the child in the wheelchair actually has a ramp so that he can roll, he or she can roll up the ramp and see the soccer game. So all spectators can view the game from an equitable vantage point. So this image to me represents how we can achieve equity by identifying our diversity first, empowering open-mindedness and out-of-the-box ideas such as sharing boxes and using ramps. To create the supports and resources the students and families need so that all students can achieve. So I think that both of those um, images really represent equity in education.
1: Yeah, I love that, Amy. Just to, to chime in really quick, those visuals are so powerful and I think a lot of us, and especially if you're in education, you are probably very familiar with those. You can find them, you can find them you've probably seen them a million times, but I think it really does point to the fact that just because everybody gets the same thing doesn't mean that's what they need to be successful. So I love that you picked those out. Sorry, carry on.
2: So I think the second part of your question, you wanted to know how it actually applies to COVID. Is that right?
1: That is correct.
2: Okay, so um, in response to COVID this spring, our district in Elizabethtown and our school implemented a lot of steps to bridge the gap for students during distance learning. And our goal was always to do everything we could to keep our students and family in, engaged. And in reality, we said this often we didn't want to be the reason why our families were not participating in distance learning. So, some of the things that we did were offering Chromebooks to any student who didn't have a device at home to participate in distance learning. And we had, I think, eight or 10 pickups throughout the spring. So, even if Um, Someone didn't have a device initially, or they didn't realize that this was going to last as long as it did, they were able to go back and get a device. Um, We also had weekly communication with teachers and administrators, social workers, school counselors, IST, and our ELD teachers who reached out to families when students were not participating to try to find out what that barrier was, so that we could get them involved. So, for example, um, we delivered hotspots, our social workers de- delivered hotspots. Um, we had tons of special Zoom calls that we provided help, one-on-one tutorials to help um, families utilize the online apps and platforms, because at the K3 level, we are not one-to-one. So a lot of the technology that was used in the classroom, our families really weren't familiar with. So they needed a little extra help. And we also continued to provide um, our weekly bear bag program, which we send home weekend backpacks with EASD students who are food insecure. And we continued that the entire summer.
0: <clears throat> Amy, I'd just like to ask a follow-up question along with that. So you mentioned that you had a few hiccups along the way in the springtime. Mm-hmm. How springtime. Um, how are you using those hiccups in this upcoming school year to learn from them?
2: Uh, That's a great question. And um, I am a huge on reflection. So every time that we do anything, I'm very, uh, very much trying to think about how it went, what we can change. And um, I think something that we need to do a little bit better job on actually has to do with uh, technology. And um, we were not awesome at keeping great records on if someone returned a device or something was repaired. Um, And when we went back and looked through everything at the end, um, it seemed as though, you know, we might have had noted originally that um, maybe a student had two devices when they only had one, and then we kind of had to backtrack and figure all of that out. So I think we were more... Interested in being proactive and getting the devices out there, and maybe less involved in the documentation. Um, and that kind of came secondary. So, I think that we want to try to put something in place in our building. I think we just assumed that that would be something that the technology department might be doing a little bit more. And so, we were thinking that they were doing it, and they were thinking that we were doing it, and no one was doing it really awesome. So I think that's a a big lesson.
0: So speaking about your shared vision, how do you build that shared vision of equity across all of your staff? And how is it determined and or communicated across the building?
2: Okay, Um, In Elizabethtown Area School District, we have four K-3 schools. And East High has traditionally been the K-3 building that has the most need. We are the Title I school of the K-3 buildings. We have all of the learning support students in our building. We are the only K-3 building with an ES classroom. Uh, We have all of the EL students in the district. And for the past few years, it seems that we have an increased number of students who are experiencing or who have experienced trauma that are coming to our building. Um, So that's a lot to... uh, consider when you are designing instruction and interventions. And I have to say that our teachers at, at East High are some of the most patient, caring, compassionate professionals I have ever met in my life. Um, that's not to say that all teachers are not those things, but it is just tremendous the, the way that they care for their students in every way, not just were considering their academics. So um, I would say our unofficial motto, if we had one, could be "Weary's tie and it's what we do. No matter what happens, no matter who comes to our building, no matter what the need is, we do what we need to do to help students to be successful and to make them feel welcome. Um, So because that's just who we are and how we respond to student need, we don't want to be the reason again that a student isn't finding success and i would say that that um, shines through so much when you talk to any teacher or administrator in our building um, we don't want to be their barrier so if an intervention isn't working we regroup with the team and try another intervention or set of interventions um, if a child is experiencing a lot of anxiety about coming to school, we have come up with alternative arrival plans so that things are a little more calm for them, so that they um, feel more comfortable coming in the building. Whatever we need to do to get students here and achieve success, that's what we do. So um, I've been in, at East High for about 18 months now. And I can tell you that this belief is felt from the time you walk into the building and it's contagious. I was a secondary instructional coach for eight and a half years. And I immediately took on that same belief and that same responsibility that teachers who have taught in our building for 35 years feel. Um, It's believed by everyone in the school from the administration to the custodians, the teachers, Um, our paraprofessionals, we have huge support staff. um, And historically, administration changes a lot at East High, um, but the vision of equity and that we are gonna do whatever we need to do to help students achieve success always remains the same. And you can really feel that when you're in our building.
1: That's impressive, especially with, as you said, the administration turnover, it's impressive that you're able to keep that shared vision because a lot of times someone new will come in, they'll have something, a new you know, project or a new initiative. Uh, so it speaks volumes to your teachers and clearly they have been there, I'm gonna guess, for some time, even though administration may turn over quite mm-hmm. a bit.
2: Yes, they're a very strong staff in every, in every way that you can describe, then you can think of the word strong. Strong-willed, strong-minded, strong instructionally. They're just really, really great, solid people.
1: That is phenomenal. So we've gone to our third question, uh, kind of piggybacks a little bit. Uh, COVID has highlighted that there are a lot of faults in our education system. And you know, we're aware of it, but this has really shined a light on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and especially along those lines of equity, we can't keep doing the same things in the same old way. Has this whole experience of COVID shaped your thinking, and how would this help you progress as a school?
2: So while we worked very hard to maintain equity during distance learning, as you just mentioned, um, we had a few students who just did not participate. And um, after lots of phone calls, lots of offers to help families with technology and with different platforms, Um, What we came to realize is that it wasn't really because they didn't have a device or because they didn't know what to do. It was more because the children were not cooperating. Um, (laughs) Parents were overwhelmed because maybe they were still working. Uh, We have quite a few children who their grandparents are their primary caregiver and um, they just didn't feel comfortable using the technology or it was just really overwhelming for them. We actually had a family after a couple weeks Of reaching out um, that just said we don't need anything from you we're just not really gonna do this and (laughs) that's really hard to hear Um, but at that point when someone is telling you we don't need your help you I we felt like we kind of had to back off for a little bit and then our check-ins weren't quite as frequent Um, Obviously we never just let them go to the wayside, but I think our communication decreased a little bit because we also didn't want to seem like we were harassing them or that, you know, we didn't want to be bothering them, but we still wanted them to know that we were here. So um, as I mentioned earlier, our K-3 buildings were not one-to-one when the pandemic began. Um, So we really had to flip learning on its head in order to keep our students connected. And our teachers were not prepared. They would, every single one of them would tell you that if they were with me right now. And they had very little tech experience and ability prior to COVID. Um, So it really made their deficiencies stand out this time. So um, I really was able to dive in and put on my instructional coach hat which I loved doing and provided a great deal of professional learning, both in small groups, one-on-one throughout distance learning for our teachers. Um, and that's just you know what, what we needed to do at the time. Um, moving forward, our building and actually our district has adopted the LMS for um, elementary called Seesaw. And we have already begun providing professional learning to teachers, we will be using this platform district-wide beginning day one of school this fall. And I think that this will allow us to continue to infuse technology, but also be ready to flip the switch if that is what happens in the fall, um, depending on how we have to respond to COVID in the coming months. So. We'll also be training families on how to use this LMS from day one and only seesaw is going to be used. So instead of different teachers using different applications and parents needing to know how to use all of them, we'll just be focusing on seesaw. And Colin, I think you had asked a question about a lesson learned earlier. This is another example of that type of a lesson. Um, You know, if you have a family who has multiple children in the district, or in the building, and every teacher is using something different, it's a lot to manage. So um, we think that using just Seesaw will be really beneficial for our students and our families. And uh, I think the final part of your question, I think equity plays a role in all of this because we need to constantly be thinking about the barriers that students and families may experience and think outside the box in order to help bridge those gaps. So perhaps we need to do videos for families, provide one-on-one Zoom sessions to help onboard those students' family members who may not be as apt in using technology. We may need to add some pieces to um, what's probably going to be in a virtual open house this year, which is going to present a whole new set of challenges. Um, we need to continue to offer our EL students' families additional supports and provide information in their language. And all of this begins with being mindful of those families that we serve at East High and going from there asking, what do we need to do in order to help our students and families achieve success? Again, so that we are not the reason that there is a barrier.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I love the way you thought about that and articulated everything. And we know it was exceedingly overwhelming to parents and students and teachers alike and so I had, just as you were speaking, I was thinking about how you put on your instructional coach chat. You went in and did a lot of the PD for teachers. Did you come across any teachers who were very resistant uh, and gave you pushback in that regard? And how did you handle that if that was the case?
2: Um, honestly, I didn't, they just wanted help. And I think this whole situation Um, while none of us would ever want to do it again, the way that we did it and and have to dive in and flip everything so quickly, it really forced our teachers to have to learn about and use technology. They were definitely vulnerable. They were scared. Um, I had a teacher who thought she broke Google. Um, and I'm, I'm not, (laughs) not kidding. And, and it was okay. And there were tears. And I said, you're, it's fine. So I think, um, I think my coaching background and experience allowed them to be vulnerable and allowed them to ask for help. So um, I think in the situation that we were in there, I guess there could have been pushback, but the reality is this is what we had to do in order to continue to be successful and help our students to stay connected. So we just had to do what we had to do. And I think that again, you know, I mentioned how dedicated our teachers are it was just a testament to the way that they operate and the way that we do what we need to do to help students to be successful.
0: That's absolutely wonderful, Amy. Thank you so much for that. It seems like your district is coming up with multiple different plans moving into this next year. Mm -hmm. We're talking a little bit about how you are going to help, how you've been helping teachers along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. A little bit into my next question is, How do you as a leader in your school help and encourage your staff to stay motivated and focused on the district goals, especially in these untrying times where it's really uncertain for if we're going back or how long we'll be back or if we'll be there the whole year? Just curious on how you're going to do that.
2: Sure. Um, Personally, I'm never content With the status quo. I'm never content with mediocre. Um, I always want to learn more, increase my skills and my knowledge um, because I just think that as an educator, it's my responsibility. And so I think that we had a lot of teachers who were comfortable not being a one-to-one school, not having to dive in and use technology because they didn't have to change what they were doing and they were comfortable. Um, but the pandemic forced them to see how they could be reaching their students using technology, whether that be in person or virtually. And so many teachers, as they were learning and trying new things, um, they would comment, no matter what happens, if we go back face to face 100%, if we are doing you know, some, some form of hybrid, no matter what, I'm going to keep doing this because it's great and it works, and it's it's just good instructional practice. So that's exciting. Um, I can't ex- express the amount of learning our teachers experience during distance learning. Um, when I think about it, they probably learned more in those three and a half months than they learned in the last three to five years, and it's it's just remarkable how much they learned. And so I want to continue to ch- challenge our teachers to keep learning and trying new things. Um, Many of our teachers were very nervous and hesitant about relying so heavily on technology and they were really hesitant about their ability. So I continued to ask them to reflect on how much they've learned and how far they've come in such a short notice because it was tremendous and they needed to hear that. Uh, So I think it's important to continue to reinforce that moving forward because it keeps them motivated um, and allows them to see what they really can do.
1: And that concludes part one of our interview with Amy Secor, the assistant principal at East High Street Elementary School in Elizabethtown, PA. We'll be right back with part two. and welcome back to part two. In this section we will be focusing more on the technology piece and I know we've touched a little bit about that just as naturally we would in speaking about equity and COVID and it really does point to how technology is such a strong piece. So Amy, the next question we have for you is you know technology is going to be absolutely essential no matter what it looks like this year that's how they're gonna be able to succeed, right? So how are you gathering data on parent and students' technology needs for the upcoming school year? And how are you planning to incorporate technology in an equitable way? Um, Is it even possible to be fully equitable? And I think we talked a little bit about this, but if you wanna go a little bit more in depth, that would be wonderful.
2: Sure. Um, At this point, any student who needed a Chromebook during distance learning, uh, still has that Chromebook, so we did not recollect Chromebooks in June. Um, I believe we're planning to survey families using a Google form that we will that will come out in our weekly communication that we send to families using the Smore newsletter uh, platform. And typically we don't send a lot of communication to families over the summer, but obviously with things changing all the time, we are trying to be as transparent as possible and keep families in the know. Um, So right now we are determining how we can get devices in the hands of as many students as possible when we return so that all students could have a district device to work from during the day and we're fortunate that our upper elementary school, which is our four, five, six building Bear Creek School, they actually are, were scheduled to go one-to-one this fall, and so we're able to utilize their old Chromebooks in our buildings. So we're trying to figure out the numbers and and our hope is that every student would be able to have a Chromebook, um, and then we, if we have to go back into a distance learning situation, um, those devices would already be in their hands. So this does take care of the devices, but there's still the need for internet service. And I think, um, you know, in in this day and age and the fact that um, so much is technology-driven, sometimes we forget But not everyone has internet. And um, I know that blows my 14 year old's mind that someone might not have internet, but that is the case. So while we do offer hotspots to some of our families, we also recommend that families go somewhere that might offer free internet, such as the library or a cafe, but, I don't think that that can be realistically done every single day if we were to go back into a distance learning situation. So Amber, at the beginning you said, is it even possible? And I don't, I don't know. I would love to say absolutely, but I think just with that example, I'm not sure that it can be. So short of paying for families internet service, who could not afford it, um, which I think is opening a huge can of worms, um, I'm not sure how we can guarantee access for all students all the time.
1: <clears throat> Absolutely, and that's such a good point. You know, we, we're we're focused on devices, we're focused on the wi-fi and the technology piece, but then we also have to think about supported home. What does their home structure even look like? And those students who are typically behind are getting further behind, right? Because maybe uh, mom has to work during the day and or they have the devices but there's no one there to support them in those endeavors and so it, it's such a complicated network and, and piece to even look at and yeah I mean it, it's it's you it's hard to even say is it is it possible because there are so many factors
0: how, how are you and your district preparing and helping students and teachers and parents um, become up-to-date on technology usage? Um,
2: I think that, like, as I said earlier, uh, I'm always trying to learn new things and try to stay ahead of the game which is, is very, very challenging. Um, I, I read a lot Um, I'm very active on Twitter and in various educational Facebook groups. And I do a lot of networking and a lot of learning um, and try to take that information and learning and um, either communicate that with teachers through, um, like I said, we also do a weekly newsletter for our teachers. Sometimes we'll put little blips of things in our SMORE newsletter for our families. Um, We actually, this year, in response to distance learning, um, very quickly, I put together um, a Schoology course for our teachers where everything was housed for our professional learning, Um, and it was just tons of resources, and um, if someone had a question or somebody was in need of something, I would try to refer them to that area so that They could um, have what they needed. And if there was something that I didn't already have resources for um, I was happy to go and and find that information and learn alongside of them. So I think um, You have to have the mindset that It's never you're never going to know it all and just about the time you think you know it, it changes or there's an update or there's an upgrade and things that you used to know you don't know the same it's not the same anymore so um i think you just have to have that mindset that you just have to keep persevering and learning and trying and um, taking risks to figure it out and then share that information with families um, as best you can through uh, different different mediums whether it be on a website or a google site or through s'more Um, And and I think it's important to use multiple means of communication so that if you do have someone who is not tech savvy and isn't getting those newsletters, um, you know, perhaps it's a phone call just giving them a heads up that we did send something out so then they can go back and refer. Um, So really just providing resource and educating the families and teachers as we learn more.
1: That is excellent, and I love that um, you've really carried your coaching hat into this new role, and it has really obviously served you well and served your staff um, immeasurably, it sounds like. So our last question that we have, you've made it to the end, Amy, you're almost there. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, uh, but just as an opportunity to go a little bit more in depth and have this be the focus question. What lessons, you know, we were out in March and we're out the rest of the year as much to our surprise and now we're uncertain about what this year will look like. What have you learned? What are the big takeaways of that shutdown in the spring and how do you plan to address these new challenges with the upcoming school year?
2: Sure, that's a big question. (laughs) It is. So I think the most obvious lesson was that our teachers were starving for professional learning related to technology integration. Um, they soaked up information, like our little elementary learners soak up everything. They they were the sponges, um, which was really, for me, exciting to see. Um, but not having that basic technology knowledge and skills made this change even more challenging for them. Our secondary teachers, who have been one-to-one for five or six years. Um, you know, they, this was something that they very quickly and easily were able to adjust to because so much of the foundation was already set. But for our elementary, it was, it was a huge change. Um, We also learned that we need to have one online learning system. I think I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's worth repeating so that all students in our school are using the same system. It helps to keep things consistent for administration. Um, I'm not having to learn all of these different platforms and try to um, make sure that I'm able to evaluate teachers, you know, not having to learn Seesaw and uh, also staying up to date with Schoology and Google Classroom and, you know, it's nice to just have that one platform that we can really focus on. this is also great obviously for teachers and students and families who, like I said earlier, have multiple children in school. Um, it, it's, it's very overwhelming when you're having to try to not only support your child at home and help them get through the work, as you mentioned earlier, Amber, but to also have to learn all these different systems is, is really a lot to ask. Um, <clears throat> so while there were opinions about which system was best um, be it Schoology or Google Classroom or Seesaw or Dojo or, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, there was complete agreement that we needed one system. Um, and as I said, you know, we've, we've adopted Seesaw. We've begun already training teachers. We're ready to hit the ground running with some parent information. Um, we're actually working on that, that piece right now. So huge lesson learned. Um, I think also open and transparent communication between administration and staff, as well as the district and families is critical. Um, I, I was trying to place in my mind who said this, and I think it might've been, um, um, Murray is his last name and his first name, Thomas Murray, I believe he said, um, if we don't tell our story, someone else will tell it for us. And I don't think in education, we can take that risk. Um, It's critical that schools and districts are telling their story, communicating plans and expectations clearly and through multiple platforms. Because if we don't, people will draw their own conclusions and they'll likely share those opinions and conclusions with others. And then we have a mess on our hands and we're really going to, and we would have to um, do a lot of cleanup and a lot of backward um, thinking in order to try to, clear that up. So I think it's really important that um, we tell our story as best we can. Um, I personally think that it's more important now than ever to lead with grace. Um, If we want teachers to take risks and be innovated, then we as leaders need to make teachers feel that it's okay to take risks, to fail forward, and to learn from each experience. we need to make sure that they don't feel that if they do take that risk and, they, and it doesn't go well, that it's going to be held against them in some way. Uh, it's important to admit when you don't know something as an administrator, when you need to get more information before providing an answer, and owning and apologizing when you make a mistake. I think you just need to model that type of behavior. Um, as guidelines and protocols change, sometimes by the hour, um, we need to be understanding, flexible, and try our best not to take things personally. And I think that if everyone could, could have that mindset, uh, it would really be great. Um, not just during COVID, but all the time. And finally, I think it's important to provide time and model reflection. When we are learning so much, so fast, we need to take the time to stop and reflect. And I believe that reflection leads to growth. And when we are learning and growing as professionals, then our students are learning and growing, and that's the goal.
0: Amy, that is wonderful what you just said, and I wanna thank you because that is so, so, so true. I did wanna offer you one chance to be reflective at the end of this podcast here. And you were talking a little bit about how you want to foster teachers to become risk risk takers, especially in technology. Mm What do you feel that you have done and your district has done um, fostering that and allowing teachers to take risks, especially as they move towards more technology in their own classrooms?
2: Um, That's a great question. I think that it goes back to me modeling that vulnerability and um, learning alongside of them. You know, I, I had teachers who would call me and say, um, I'm trying to screencastify thing that you told me to try. And it's just not really working out. And I I don't know, can I edit it? Do I have to start over every time? You know, I really want to do this, but it's really hard. And so we get on a Zoom call, and we do it together. And, um, you know, we problem solve, we try to figure it out together. And I think that by being vulnerable and um, admitting that you're learning right alongside of them, it allows them to open up. It allows them to wanna collaborate and partner with me. And um, it just allows that relationship and the trust building to occur so that we're working as a team and just really working for that ultimate goal of student success.
0: That's truly amazing, thank you so much.
1: Sure. Amy, we thank you for being here with us today. This has been an outstanding conversation. It is an important conversation. It is a conversation that will continue, I'm sure, at least this year, probably well into the future as how this has been such an impactful time in education And we appreciate your perspective, not only from your assistant principal hat wearing days, but your instructional coach hat wearing days. And it really gave us a nice look into your philosophies and how your school has approached uh, COVID-19 and equity and uh, that technology piece that is just so incredibly important during these times so we thank you for being here again i'm your host uh, amber owen along with host colin Greenewalt. we have alexander swadley who is doing all of our editing and has helped with the entire podcast today and we appreciate you for our listeners for being here and taking the time to hear about this very important educational um, topic today so thank you